0: Quiet,
1: numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, you're listening to the podcast. So there I was. This is episode 91. 91. Top level across Gabon. (laughs) Well,
0: first of all, you got to know where that is. And it's in Africa. Not,
1: not, Not a pleasant part of Africa either. The central Atlantic coast of Africa. Man, Carrie McCauley, author of Dangerous Flights... And Ferry Pilot, both books available on Amazon, joined us. And Fig, I got to say, I thought we did wild and crazy stuff in airplanes.
0: Listen, while he was telling his stories, you know, I was trying to put myself there. And I I was sweaty palms. Yeah. You know, was I was slack-jawed
1: at the yeah. shit I heard. This guy Yes. Does, oh, my God. You did. I what? could have said it. Yeah. Like, I'm saying, what? Yeah. You did what? Yeah. Oh, not, yeah. Not shit that you and I would even dream up. No. But no. speaking of shit, he, he did have me <laughs> unable to breathe at one point during the show. <laughs> yes. When okay, he talked, stop. It, we almost called this, it involved a weird yoga pose. And <laughs> t- t- let your imaginations run wild, folks. Because, man, let me yeah. tell you. Absolutely, well, terrifying
0: yeah. kind of stuff. And I, hey, I just want to apologize in advance. I, I went there, but I was, <laughs> I had, I had to know. Anyway, listen, leave it at that. Holy cow! You know, he he uh, he's told a story about flying flying past the the pyramids in Egypt with the president not, of the country. Not
1: once, not twice, but thrice. <laughs>
0: and I shouldn't say fly past; they buzzed him. Bust them. Bust below, them. below the tops, below the of tops the of the pyramids. Yeah. Anyway, this oh. this this gentleman is
1: well. First of all, he's a great great
0: storyteller, and wow, does he have stories!
1: He does indeed. Thirty year, thirty four years plus of ferrying light civil aircraft all over the world, and we all mean over. all over the world, all That's over crazy stuff, all yeah. over. Yeah. You will not be bored with this show in any way shape or form if you understand even a little about flying you're gonna you're gonna be slack-jawed too. be prepared to be pulled up pull be pulled over or pull over to avoid hitting somebody when you're laughing so hard you cannot see yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. let's say we get out of the way fig let's do
0: it let's get out of the way let's hey. do it don't sit on the ejection seat handle, man.
1: No ejection seats this week, man. Don't let go of your. Oh baggie. my
2: gosh, that's right. This here is a true story. Don't let go Stop of your bag. Crossing the pond. Don't sit on that little bag. At night, in the world's smallest cockpit, on the tanker, through the weather. Oh, and to the uh, tanker crew who uh, did that. Thanks a lot. We really appreciated that. I'm just kidding. So no, well, there I was crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fun. So there I was, nineteen
3: thousand feet in a Mooney, on my way to Rome, Italy, and I was over New York, hadn't hadn't left the states yet, and I decided to penetrate a line of thunderstorms with nothing but a strike finder, no big deal. And suddenly things got really quiet. And it was odd, you know, I, was, I had to turn the music down because, of course, I was a fly with music. And I realized that it's not supposed to be quiet, and I had lost my engine. Oh. And, <laughs> and I wasn't really 100% sure where I was because I had been – Going down the line, down this line of thunderstorms, looking for an opening, and yeah, right when I penetrated, that's when I lost the engine. So,
1: <laughs> of course it is, and that's of course how, it was. Oh, great and often terrifying aviation <laughs> tales begin. <laughs> Greetings, everyone. Repeat here from Cambridge, England tonight. And where's my co-host Fig? Hey,
0: uh, th- hey, thank you. Uh, I am in Balmy Kearney, <laughs> Missouri, where it broke freezing today, and things are actually thawing out.
4: But more oh. importantly, where are you, Sticks? Well, I am in New Hampshire, balmy, wicked New Hampshire. Nice. So, And we are so excited to have our guest with us here today. And regrettably, you have three three cohorts. <laughs> but we managed to to wrestle this guy into a show, and we have none other than Carrie McCauley, and you might actually recognize the name because he actually appeared on Dangerous Flights on the Discovery Channel. So he uh, started it off, started us off with just an outstanding story, That's and nice. just a like story, <laughs> isn't it like Pettigrew from or Peter and Mister What was it? The guy, oh Pettibone from Grandpa Pettibone, Grandpa Pettibone, Grandpa
0: Pettibone, and we'll put and you then the. Fat.
4: But there was also the the mishap reports and you always you know that that segment where he puts in insert air drawn in through teeth you know yeah. like yeah. that that's exactly what I was thinking as soon as all of a sudden it got quiet in the cockpit so right. so nope. Kerry why don't you tell us a little bit about your our lead-in question is almost always how did you get into flying and Dear God, we're going to get into what kind of flying you did because it's scary. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, I'd always, you know, been interested in flying growing up. My uncle, Carrie, who I'm named after, was a naval aviator. He flew S two trackers back in the day. And while I was still in in high school, I joined the National Guard and became a Huey crew chief because I just couldn't wait to get out of school. And once I was in, in aviation, I got my license and never looked back. I just can't
4: stand the ground. I place. knew there's a reason why I liked you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, how'd, how'd you start flying, though? I mean, uh, uh, 152s, uh, Pipers?
3: Yep. Actually, Tomahawks at first, then went to 152s. The yeah, I, The The I to say. The yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. And, uh, and you know... It was While I was in the guard, that's when I found out about ferry flying. One of my fellow crew chiefs, his father owned the ferry company I ended up working for. And he told me about being a ferry pilot. And I said, that sounds like the coolest job in the world. I want to do that. But I didn't have a license yet. So I went and got all my licenses, started skydiving. And that's how I, to build hours, because I needed a bunch of hours to get hired to the job. And started flying jumpers. And that got me in my skydiving career and the rest nice. is history.
0: What? Hey, what part of the country, Carrie? Uh, where, what part of the country were you in? Uh, where did you grow up and all that?
3: Basically, Minneapolis. I grew up in a north suburb sort of. just on the north side of Minneapolis, and I'm still not far. I'm in Wisconsin now, but right across the border, so spitting distance. Nice.
1: Yeah. So, flying uh, the Trauma Hawk and then getting all your ratings. And so, were you were you flying the jumpers or or jumping or both?
3: Both. I started off jumping, and okay, you know, once I realized that. That flying jumpers look like a lot of fun too, and a cheap way to get hours because you know, everybody, once you get your license, that's that's just the first step. You got to get a bunch of time before anybody the will hire you. So, yep. So, <laughs> flying jumpers in some pretty uh, rustic airplanes back in the 80s, those are the, so taxable, sir, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right? Rustic, yeah, you know, yeah, <laughs> they, were, <laughs> they were pieces of garbage but they uh they were great you know and i learned so much flying jumpers you learn it's all stick and rudder there's no straight and level and the planes are all beat to hell and everything's broken and all the instruments are broken and if you can fly jumpers in a beat up 182 and land on a short muddy strip you can do anything
1: and, and multiple times a day, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. And it yeah. sounds like you went
0: on just to do just that. I mean, really? Holy oh. shit. Uh, <laughs> I, I watched just a snippet earlier today of one of your episodes that Stick sent out. And you were down in South America somewhere, and you were going to ferry a uh, A-36 back to, I don't know, I think North Carolina or somewhere. And your daughter was, was going to go with you. And I, d- I didn't get very far in it. Yeah, that was a fun trip. But, I mean, okay. So how how long have you been doing – how long have you been ferrying airplanes?
3: I, my first trip was 1990. So i okay. it. quite a, a while. A couple of years now. Been doing yeah. it a minute. couple years, <laughs> yep. Uh, I, I, back before GPS, I've got eight crossings of the North Atlantic with nothing but a compass and a, and a map, paper map. So How about that? Back in the, the Lindbergh days. Okay, right? so – I, I we literally it. thought about bringing a sextant along. Not S- kidding. So <laughs> extra fuel, yeah. bladder, what kind of airplanes are you talking about? Everything, you know, 182s, 206s, Moonies, Navajos, 310s, every you, you Arrow. And, yeah, a lot, most of the time, at least in the beginning, a lot of ferry tanks. I like ferry tanks. They're, unfortunately, a lot of people have a lot of problems with them. I had three different times had major problems with them killed a lot of people because when you start messing with the fuel fuel tanks you know the fuel system things oh, you- can go bad but when it works great having 18 hours of range is kind of nice i mean yeah. your butt gets a
1: little sore <laughs> yeah yeah but well, you're messing also with your cg and your weight and balance uh, oh, yeah. issues too yeah.
3: yeah we were allowed 25 percent over max gross and two inches of ass cg and we never broke Ooh. that ever at all i swear wow <laughs> <That's tiny. laughs> when you put your coffee cup on the tail of the airplane just before you take off and the, it it settles on the tail like hmm. <laughs> <laughs> might have exceeded that 2 inches just a smidge oh boy oh,
4: so you said sextant is that it, do you actually know how to use a
3: sextant i don't we thought about it cuz we actually regressed in in the in the 70s 80s and early nineties, our navigation was was worse than it was in the forties and fifties when, you know, they were crossing the pond and they actually had they would take star shots and use sextants and, you know, that's how they navigated. Well when we were ferrying, we had nothing. It was we'd get a Winslow forecast, you'd get out your big paper map and your E6B plotter and plot your great circle course. And then you just took off and trusted your Winslowff chart. And once you left You know, out range of, you know, the last VOR in St. John's, Newfoundland, you had literally no idea where you were. You could have encountered major headwinds or crosswinds, and you could be, you know, hundreds of miles off course, and you have absolutely no idea. So that,
4: that's crazy because that's actually what I studied in college and my undergraduate studies. I actually was a navigation major at the Merchant Marine Academy. So I actually studied and learned how to use sextants. And we even used what's called the aeronautical almanac, which is actually has pre-done sight deductions on stars, which actually made it easier to use the sextant in flight. It was actually from... World War II era. But, anyways, so I, yeah. I just thought that was interesting when you said, oh, we thought about using sextants. So I was like, yeah. holy
3: I, I know one guy that did bring along, he could actually figure it out. You know, the problem with the the windscreen, it's curved. So when you're taking that sighting on the, the horizon line, it's distorted. Right. I didn't yeah. bother with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah you just right. Hope In World for the War best. Two,
4: they, they had a telescope <laughs> that actually went up at the roof of the, uh, up through the overhead of the cabin. And they actually, the navigator used that.
0: Yeah, the C one hundred and thirty H model still had those. Yeah, the yeah. the sextant port.
3: No sextant. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I don't the little the little dome up there or something.
1: <laughs> and, wow. and I actually have a dear family friend who was in the Air Force in the early sixties, and and he was taught how or learning how to use. It. He was a general's aide de camp, and he so he was not a crew member, and he was riding along. He's like, "Hey, how do you use this?" And the guy showed him, and he he let him try it, and he. Took the readings, noted the time, and like fifteen minutes later, took more readings and calculated that they hadn't moved one inch. And guys, like that's because you got the uh, tail position light in the uh, in your sights. <laughs> it's it's going to be it's- at the same angle always. What are the odds, right? So, oh man. So all right. Well, no. So back to. The, the extreme distances and like you say taking off and you could encounter a crosswind and, and not have any clue. So A it's no wonder someone like Amelia Earhart was lost looking for a speck of land in the Pacific Ocean. I mean at least at least you're looking for something the size of Iceland which is you know a little a little larger. You got a better well, help, better shot of finding Well that, it went I went down to the but,
3: Azores. The Azores I mean, are pretty
1: small. It went down yes, there a are. lot.
3: You know yeah. so you, you gotta hit those okay. pretty much dead on.
1: Yeah, I can only imagine. What's, Although they had a good
3: a good NDB down there that you could pick up three hundred miles out, so you could nice. uh, okay. you, you had to be pretty you had to be pretty off to to miss that. But lodges, did, did you lodges? Uh, we went to Santa Maria. Lodges Santa Maria, is the okay. military. Yeah. Okay. 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 See, I'd only been to lodges, but Actually, lodges. I think that's where the NDB was. Okay. And then Santa Maria is at another, I don't know, 80 miles east, southeast, something like that.
4: So the other thing with traveling like this and ferrying an aircraft and all these logistics that are involved, talk a little bit about like sometimes the language barriers, like having to do like if the plane plane breaks, you know, you need somebody to fix it. How do you explain to them what's wrong with the plane? Or how about getting fuel? Sometimes from what I read in one of your books, sometimes getting fuel can be a bit of an adventure.
3: Yeah. I mean, the the stuff on the ground is half the adventure and most of the difficulty. I mean, the, the, there's the dangers of the flying itself, obviously, but yeah, you know, the language barriers. I got really good at international charades. Yeah, It's like, okay, I need gas, you know, or stuff like that. Yeah. You know, when you're flying, it's not as difficult because everyone's supposed to be able to speak English. Although sometimes the, the accents are pretty, unless horrendous. you're in China
1: or France. <laughs> Sorry, oh,
3: France. Oh my God, <laughs> go to an intersection Boumou. I don't you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Is I, spelling gosh. it didn't even give me.
1: <laughs> yeah. don't uh, and they gosh. all speak to each other in French, so there's no "sa" yeah. as to who's where. Right. It's
3: well, very that, that, I I was shocked one time because yeah, they any controllers can speak to local pilots in their native language. And I was ferrying a caravan to Singapore and I was over Burma and switched onto a new controller. And I heard the controller speaking whatever language it is. They sp- spoke to a local pilot and I was waiting my turn. And the guy answered him in English and I realized he was speaking in English and I couldn't understand a single word he said. And when it was my turn, it was hilarity ensued. Say again was repeated a lot. <laughs> But yeah, on the ground, you know, getting the language barrier can be kind of tough. And if I I'll use, you know, I I did take German in high school, so that's come in handy zero times. <laughs> um, <laughs> German. Uh, <whoa. laughs> Even when you're in Germany, they're like, "Just I'll speak English. I'm
0: way better than your German." So yeah, they speak better English than most English-speaking yeah. people. When most I try to speak German, it's. they
3: think it's they think it's cute. Oh.
4: Uh, so, was it in to... India that there was like a big adventure with like fifty-five gallon drums, or they were pouring it in by buckets or something to that effect? Yeah, is that, yeah. Is that right?
3: Yep, yep, yeah. There is a lot of times that if you are if you are flying a plane that uses one hundred low lead, they don't have a truck like in the United States. So sometimes you'll you'll get a place and they just crack open fifty-five gallon drums, and yeah, the one time in India they were literally pouring it into a bucket and then into a funnel in your plane with a cheesecloth you know screen to screen out all the impurities and the spucks of rust rust and everything and i was in pakistan once and they were doing it they had a hose and a hand pump and the 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 line had a had a, a a split in it so it was leaking 100 low lead so one of the guys helpfully wrapped you know a cotton rag around it which did absolutely nothing and there were six guys standing around within 10 feet all smoking cigarettes watching the show. I'm like, can well, you guys didn't be? back up? <laughs> They're like, what? Because Every, right. everybody smokes over there. Right. I'm like, a couple steps back would be great right
0: about now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my. No God. fire hazard. No no, fire no, 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 no. It's all good. You know, this is <laughs> very unsettling, all these. Um, um, it really um, is. It, it's it, terrifying. So, so uh, you know, there, I, I know there, you've had so many ferry flights but can you just walk just walk us through. let's just you know you're you're taking a single engine airplane from somewhere i mean you've been all over the world but let's just say wh- what's the average average day tr- how long does it take to get a single engine airplane from north america to south america or over to europe and i mean what what's that look like what's a day in the life well, i mean really what's a day in the life of of carry the ferry pilot look like because this is terrifying to me right now yeah
3: well you know a trip to south america or, or europe is typically about a week long africa week and a half you know south you know south pacific maybe two weeks depends on if everything goes smooth typical day you're getting up pretty early because you want to get a, a good early start you want to get off right around is as, as close to Everything opening, you know, the airport opens. So four or five o'clock. Hope normally I try to get the plane ready the night before so you don't have to do it in the morning trying to get gas and everything. So typically it's check weather. You can't get breakfast because everything's still closed. So you're digging into your snack bag. Depending on how, uh, you know, how early it is, you might be able to find some coffee or something. But if once you check weather, taking off usually about sunrise fly all day if you're using ferry tanks that first leg might be 8 10 14 hours long <sighs> that's that's when the the fatigue really sets in because remember you know like I'll finish the day and then I'll talk about that right. yeah. so you fly all day long sun usually is down by the time you get there you've a lot of times you've gone through Three or four time zones, so even though you took off at four o'clock in the morning, it's now ten o'clock at night by the time you get there. Go through customs, immigration, all that stuff. Put the plane to bed. Try to get a ride into town, find a hotel. Not, can't get anything to eat again because everything's already closed now. Get in your ho- Get you know, hit the hotel room, get into bed, and then and then try to get some sleep because you're still super jazzed from flying all day, and you're almost getting killed multiple times. And then trying not to think about the next morning, which is going to be the exact same thing. You might, you know, I got to cross the ocean in the morning. And my, what am I going to do? And what's the weather going to do? And all my survival gear. Or maybe it's the ocean, or the jungle, or the desert, or blah blah blah. blah. But yeah, so Holy day shit. after day after day, the fatigue is the biggest, the the hardest thing in fairy flying is the fatigue.
1: Yeah, because we can only imagine the distances and and well, but let me ask a personal question, and you can tell me. To, Pack sand if you want, but so do you charge by the day, by the mile? How how do you do it? Because obviously you're you're pressing to move the airplane. And the longer and, you're out. When
3: I first started it was by the trip by destination. Back in the nineties it was a thousand dollars for a trip to Europe and fifteen hundred to Africa or the Middle East. And depending on where in the south in the Philippines or something, maybe it's two thousand, but now it's a daily fee. Okay. It just, okay. That works out better. It it kind of it's it's harder for different guys cuz some guys are less experienced won't push the weather as much nor should they. You know, right. people have different experience lo- rates, so you know, weather days usually they'll charge a little bit less for sitting on the ground being scared.
1: Right? Right? But you should also get paid for your time if if the their airplane breaks through no fault of yours yep. while you're waiting waiting to move it. So let me back up a little and ask how did did you do this with anybody or did you just decide I'm going to start ferrying airplanes once you had your your ratings and start moving it or did, no did, another, I, I guess did you learn at someone's feet I learned at someone's feet you know like okay. I mentioned my
3: i'd heard about ferry flying from a fellow Hueyker chief, his father owned the company and he was doing it and said you know go to drill one day and he said I just got back from Africa i'm like do tell, tell me about that. He <laughs> flown a plane to South Africa. I was like that sounds cool. So, you know, I got my ratings, got built up time flying skydivers, and then the company actually suffered a fatality, which meant there was an opening. So I went and applied. <laughs> <laughs> and that company, we lost four pilots in four years. Ferry oh, flying is oh, the real deal. Yeah, we used back yeah. in the nineties, they were losing three pilots a year. On average, over the North Atlantic alone, not our company, everybody, but still, it was the real. It was
1: real. That's yeah. terrifying.
3: Yeah, but you know, so it was. They they had a, an international delivery company, Orient Air, and they they ran me through before they sent me out on my own. They ran me through their vigorous ferry flying school, which consisted of uh, sitting in the boss's office for two hours, drinking scotch with them, listening to, him to tell me all the different ways you could get killed over the North Atlantic very inspiring yeah yeah <laughs> i you know and i figured they'd start me off slow you know like a trip to texas or something i'll kind of get my feet because right. i'd never been anywhere done anything and they called me said uh you ready for your first trip sure 172 to iowa i can handle that no you're taking a duchess to lisbon portugal nice. okay then <laughs> and, and let's and go this was
0: from from
3: minneapolis area yeah st paul yeah <laughs>
0: Hey, how how old were you when you when this is going on?
3: How, how old were when you went I was, on your first trip? How old were you? I think I was like twenty eight, maybe. Holy shit. Kinda man. kinda an old man by then. Sure. Kinda got a late yeah. start in the old aviation stuff. So yeah, that's crazy. But oh, so first
0: trip right out of the gate.
3: Yep. Duchess and, to
0: Lisbon, Portugal.
3: Yeah. Now I, I, I was alone in the cockpit. But I did. Have my boss, he was with me in a one in a two o six. He was taking it to Switzerland, so we'd be, I'd be able to be with him to to Portugal. And you know that first trip, you know we go to Bangor Maine, clear customs, and up to Saint John's, Newfoundland.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And let me tell you, when you're sitting on the runway at Newfoundland in you know early morning before sun up, realizing there's 1,900 miles of Atlantic Ocean down to Santa Maria is next, is like that's. That's a gut check right there. Yeah, Yeah. But you know, it was awesome. That first that first day was just a piece of cake. It was a beautiful sunny day, and the Duchess is a light twin and the plane was running great. And then I realized I'd made the best decision of my life at that point. And that feeling lasted about halfway. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Of course, and you then did.
3: I, yeah, well, you know, things. Are, I was having a great day up until then. And then I didn't have the problem. It was actually my boss. He he lost his vacuum pump in the two hundred six, and he was a little nervous because the second half of that day wasn't going to be bright sunshine. It was forecast to be stormy, low clouds, high winds, heavy rain, oh, and at night because this was right at, just after Christmas, so it got dark really fast. And he was pretty nervous about six hours of partial panel work and then an n d b approach into i f r airport in the ocean so what? so he had me catch up
1: to him. We don't do that to professional God, aviators yeah. in the simulator,
3: no. <laughs> Well, you should oh my gosh he, he circled- he circled over to the first island in the Azores, and I caught up to him and then we flew night i f r instrument formation all the way to Santa Maria, which was. Yeah. Yeah. Looking over my shoulder, watching him bob and weave. He was not a good formation pilot. I thought he was going to hit me, but, you know. Oh, my gosh. That was my first Amazing. trip. The first leg of the first trip of a 30-some year career. So, And it's been terrifying.
4: All I'm going to say is I I appeared on the show around episode 28 or 29 or so, <clears throat> and I told Repeat and Fig about a story where I went offshore about 100 miles, and I literally heard their rectums pucker. <laughs> when I said, "Oh yeah, no, 100 miles offshore," that's that's normal. You know, we we do that. That's that's yeah, what the Coast Guard does. In the
1: goo, yeah, yeah I heard feet.
4: my rectum pucker when you said, "Oh yeah, no, <laughs> we're going from, you know, St. John's, Newfoundland to Portugal." Are you out of your mind? That's insane. <laughs> well, he had two that engines. I you know, with, yeah, he had two wrong engines, okay. I had two engines too. I suppose. So. Yeah, yeah. But, what could possibly go wrong?
1: Yeah. No, that's crazy. I.
4: Well, okay. I,
0: I am just stunned by this. Okay, yeah. Hold on. I, I got I got lots of questions here. Uh, yeah. So you know, I uh, okay. I've done multiple crossings in you know in a tactical jet in an airliner. I've done it in a C-130. With the exception of the airliner, uh, we always had plenty of survival gear with us in the event that we, you know, couldn't make it to land. And depending on the time of year, it's uh, that was all for fluff anyway. But what kind of stuff do you carry normally for survival when you're when you're fairing an airplane over thousands of miles of blue water?
3: Well, I actually take it pretty seriously always if it's a North Atlantic I've always got a survival suit you know the big quarter inch neoprene gumby okay. suit I have a, a life raft and I've really customized my gear over the last thirty years you know we started off with an actual old elt out of an airplane big clunky thing which was really wasn't going to do us any good at all and, you know now we have the nice portable little e-perbs, which are about the size of a cell phone which are pretty good we used to have flares you can't bring flares anymore because you can't bring them back with you so now you use a laser pointer for a signaling device signal mirror handheld radio portable gps so you can tell them where you are and you know everything else and And I used to have it in a, you know, have a raft and a separate ditch bag of all the stuff. And I realized, you know, the hard part is if you survive the actual impact with the water, then you got to get out of the plane before it sinks. Yeah. Which is going to be tough because it's probably going to be upside down because half the time it's fixed gear airplane, it's going to flip. And then it's always going to be at night and heavy seas because that's just how stuff works. Yeah. That's the only time it's coming. You're not going to get, it's not going to be a pond. (laughs) It's not going to just skim in on your belly and. But now I now I take everything I really need to have with me. I have zipped inside my survival suit, and so I've just got to get get my raft out with me and get out of the plane and hopefully uh, get picked up in a couple of days because you're going to wait a while. Cause once you're yeah. out of helicopter range, which is maybe 100 miles offshore, you're going to be waiting on a boat, and boats are slow. <laughs> boats
4: boats are very slow yeah. you know so you point out one interesting thing and as a as a coast guard pilot i've told a number of aviators and people and, and mariners you know bring a two-way radio with you because as a helicopter pilot in the coast guard i can direction find on a radio but i cannot direction find on a cell phone so yeah. you're your sol if you've got a, and even if you're flying general aviation take a radio with you you know civil air patrol and the Coast Guard can all uh, direction find off of your radio. You pick up the EPRB. Yes. You- yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. That would actually okay. typically get slaved to our what would be the needle for our NDB, and we could pick that up and go right in on it. You know, either one twenty one five, both UHF and VHF. So one twenty one five and two forty three which are the the guard frequencies that where the ELT signals go off and I flew god knows how many searches for you know activated EPIRBs probably constitutes maybe about 20 20 to 30% of my coast guard searches that I did so hmm.
1: good to know but you can hit those right i mean that, those yeah. are they turn a search and rescue mission into a rescue mission.
4: Oh, oh yeah, no, it's like it's yeah. and even the newer ones, they actually will give a position after about the second or third pass. You'll actually have a, an actual hard position to go to. So, and it's totally different. It becomes a very different ball game. The nice. other thing that you mentioned, so you flew in a gumby suit, which I was kind of surprised at. I was wondering why why you guys didn't fly in dry suits. I imagine it's cost. Well, no. I just,
3: I just think the the Gumby suits are better. They have better insulation, and because I've done the ice this ocean survival course in Iceland twice, where they brought us up there and they put us in the the suits and dunk us in the in the water off the coast of Iceland in the winter time, and their their suits are primarily designed for fishermen, so that that the hands are separate so they can use gloves. Okay, and let me tell you, when you jump into the water with those things, even with the neoprene gloves on there, but there's a gap where the wrist is. The second you get into the water, your hands are f- instantly frozen. And I had met a couple of guys that went down off the coast of Newfoundland in a mooney, and they actually got into their their raft dry, and they had dry suits, but they had the ones you know the dry suit has rubber cuffs at the heel, at the ankles and the wrists, and they said their hands and feet were frozen, because where neat. I was huh cuz it leaked cuz it leaked yeah cuz their feet mm-hmm. and their well actually they were dry mm-hmm. so even sitting in the raft it was winter time they were just they were just so cold cuz the bottom of the raft is not insulated at all it's just a you know a layer of rubber so you're it's sitting like cold on water. Yeah. cold you water you need to
4: have neoprene gloves and we also flew with a very thick ADC or what they called the Avi- aviator dry suit coverall undergarment which was you know and we had a lightweight one and a heavyweight one and depending upon what the what our weather was and and then you were supposed to wear thermal underwear under that and that's all that's actually issued to us in the coast guard you know we actually at times I felt like the Michelin man going out to my helicopter to go fly a, a mission it was cra- kind of crazy but um, I, I
3: typically don't actually wear it i'm usually have it unrolled and sitting on it if it's a single or in the bag if it's a twin which is another reason that the, the gumby yeah. suit's are probably a little better, a little easier to get on. Sure. You know, Especially if something when something happens. When you're time
1: limited. What what kind yeah. of altitude are you at? Usually
3: I usually try to fly as high as I can to give okay. number one, your aircraft usually more efficient, depending on the winds aloft. But it also gives you more time to fix a problem and holler for help and prepare for ditching. You know, if you're right. tooling around at a thousand feet, you've got about two minutes till you're in the water. If you're up at fifteen thousand feet. I'm technically about fifteen thousand Okay.
1: With no oxygen. We won't talk about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well you go down and then go back up for thirty minutes. Right, right. And down, and, yeah. Or or uh, higher. Yeah. Well
4: I I there was a, actually a, it's funny you mentioned that because there was a segment in in your show, Dangerous Flights, which we can actually plug. You can actually watch Carrie on a number of different flights. And you and Mauricio if I Mauricio we're flying along in an SR-22 and this is a guy that you literally had to shoehorn into the plane. It's a big dude. Yeah. He's a big dude. This guy actually typically flies jets. And it was interesting to see you in the SR-22 with him and then you with him in the phenom, which is a whole nother aspect, you know? So you not only did you fly, you know, piston props, but you, and, but there was interesting thing there with the, with the oxygen because he was not doing well, no. and and you were sort of I think because you're so athletic, you're also used to being at higher altitudes, and I think more adapted could deal with a little bit better than he did. But you were yeah. getting a little goofy. I was,
3: and it was kind of funny. I mean, I'd always prided myself on my high altitude tolerance, especially when I was younger and had fairy flying a lot, plus skydiving every day. You know, I was very acclimated, and I could usually fly at eighteen, nineteen thousand feet with no oxygen, as long as you sit still, you're not active. And if you have some oxygen along, you take a couple of hits every now and then. And I was trying to, you know, on that show, uh, how high were we? 22,000, something like that. This is all hearsay, by the way, FAA's chat. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, well, let's see. You know, he's on oxygen. He's actually got the mask on. He's good. So let's uh, see how how well he did. And I thought I did pretty good. And then when I got back and watched the footage, like, I don't remember that. <laughs> I was a oh, little wow. Right. So I think I think twenty two thousand is a little bit above my limit. Yeah. You left a few brain cells behind. I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was singing. I was having a great time. So, what? Uh, tell us about hula girl. Hula girl. Yeah, I got hula girl back when I started fairy flying. Somebody bought it for me. I can't remember. It's one of the skydivers at our school. One of the girls there, because you know that. For years, you know, the pilots back in World War II would get the little hula girls from Hawaii, you know, before they go out and fight the war and put it on the dash. So I had hula girl on my instrument panel for forever, and then uh, when I started the TV show Dangerous Flights, brought it back, got it out of retirement, and put it on there. And it's kind of nice having your little your little uh, mascot along.
0: I've seen these used as turbulence. Yeah, turbulence indicator. <laughs> you know, if if yep. she's really rocking, if yep. you can almost see exactly. up the hula skirt. It's probably moderate. If it's yeah. not, it's probably something less.
3: <laughs> when she, when she it's, rips it's off, the ba- off, off the vital flight instrument, base, it hits it's the roof.
4: Like, okay, that was serious, severe. <laughs> so, what was your oh, most? Geez, What's the most challenging approach? Because there's a number of them, and you guys fly it. Not only are you flying dangerous routes or crazy routes, crazy altitudes, and in really limited resources at your disposal, but what's the? You're also flying into airports that are not easy to get into, and you know, especially if they're IFR. You know, you're you're limited into how you're going to get in there. So, like, what's that like? Or what's the most challenging airport you flew into?
3: The most challenging one we fly into on a regular basis is definitely in our Saserak, in the southern tip of Greenland. It's it's a one way runway. You know, you you fly up these fjords, or if you have to shoot the approach, it's a pretty challenging approach because it's tucked way back in this windy fjord, and it's a no go around runway approach. It slopes upwards and it points right at the ice cap. So at you know at the base of this valley. So you've got to be right when you're going in there, and you're go, you know, you don't want to have to do a go around because you're down, you know, mountains on both sides of you, and and the literally an ice cap in front of you, and going into there is always pretty challenging. Beautiful, it's, the southern tip of Greenland is one of the most stunningly beautiful places to fly in the world, but when the when the weather is crappy, it's terrifying. And you don't have anywhere to go. Usually by the time you get there, you're way past the point of no return. You can't go back to Goose Bay, Labrador, or Iceland. You're pretty, pretty much stuck landing there. So make it or don't.
1: Kerry, I think that's the hardest thing for me to get my head around is because that's it's all we do is make sure that we've got redundancies and outs, as many outs as we can possibly have. And you're talking going past the point and no return and no go around and all that. And I remember seeing that runway on the segment as I watched as I watched the show Dangerous Flights. Like, oh, my God, that's terrifying. It's it's like there's yeah. one up in the Himalayas similar to that. You, you land in one direction, take off in the other, and there, there ain't no going around.
3: There's like, a lot of time it's really turbulent there, too, because you get the wind coming off the ice of cap and going down there, and it'll just it'll rock you. It's, <laughs> it's it is. exciting. <laughs>
4: Yeah, that's the other, I mean, you get all of these, you know, rotor vortices coming off of the the mountains and, you know, downdrafts. I mean, and I've I've experienced that, but man, it's just, it's crazy. It's absolutely insane, you know, and repeat and fig, no, I mean, when we went through flight school, we're like, we've got our destination, you've got an alternate, you know, and in some cases I even had an alternate for my alternate, You know, and then you're sitting there going, Yeah, we're committed to this place and if we don't get in there, then we're swimming. Yeah. So Santa Maria, the Azores is like that
3: too, you know. And the Azores is actually worse. I mean, Greenland, most of the time the top of the ice cap is clear. There's kind of this perpetual high, they call the Greenland High. So if you can't get in an Arsasurac or Nook and there's nowhere else to go, you can maybe put it down on the glacier. On on top of the ice cap is your last ditch, but the Azores, you know, you're at, it's out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, and if you don't hit that, yeah. you're going swimming. You know, there's just no two ways around it, and you're way past the point of no return by the time you get there.
1: And I imagine the reason you're going swimming, and you didn't hit it, is because you, the weather's not good, and you've got rough seas, and that makes it extra special to hit the water too. So yeah, you know, 30 I, foot I had seas.
3: a <laughs> pretty scary approach in Santa Maria one time. By the time I got there, it was pretty much zero it was very the the ceilings were down around 100 150 feet something like that and the wind was favoring the direction that there was an ndb approach and i wasn't really keen to do that the ndb approach is a, you know first of all it, it, the minimums were six seven hundred feet and i legally couldn't do that although that didn't yeah. really matter legally legality is out the window at that point when you're and the other it, way like, had yeah. a it had a had an ILS, so I figured I'll I'll t- I'll mm-hmm. I'll take a downwind landing. It wasn't that windy, and it's a ten thousand foot okay. runway. I was in a four hundred two. It was like I can I can get her down. Yeah. And I set up on the runway or on the ILS, and I'm doing okay, and the needles are centered, and, and I glance up and I see a white light ahead of me, I'm like what the heck did they you know think they let somebody take off into the wind because you know I'm landing downwind yeah. and they're coming right at me, and like holy crap, and they watch the light and it starts climbing a little bit, kind of getting out of my way. I watched him going like, okay, good. He's climbing above me. You know, I hadn't heard anything on tower frequency, but he's, he's out of my way. And I looked down at the needles and they were, I was way low and way off, uh, left of course. Oh, and the light wasn't an airplane. It was a, just a freak break in the clouds. And I saw a runway light and I just instinctively dropped my nose and there's a 300 foot cliff I was headed right for, oh, and it was yeah. like holy shit, full power, yank <laughs> it up, get, slam it over there, get back, get the needles back in, last second. Oh, I geez. knew that cliff was there because I've been there many yeah. times. I was like yeah. Jesus, oh! And by the time I landed, it was back down to zero zero. I couldn't even taxi. I used my. The, it's got a monster ramp there. And I literally had to use my compass to find the the building across this ramp to taxi. <laughs> oh
0: no! Oh no! God. Hold on! I gotta I gotta ask because this, okay. is, a lo- kind of, this fig- is kind of in the logistic rolling? logistics part of it. But you're you're hopping all the way all these different places when you're moving an airplane, and you know it's usually you're landing in different countries. So how how bad are the customs for somebody like you come rolling in at weird hours of the night and a little bit of your airplane? Or they want to. Take your airplane apart and look for drugs? Or, I mean, is everybody starting to know you now? Or, I mean, how's that?
3: Nope. You know, actually, if I ever wanted to be a drug smuggler, I would be, do it in the ferry plane. Now, we did smuggle parts a lot back in the days, <laughs> <laughs> theoretically. Yeah, in um, yeah, yeah. theory. You custom- could have. You could we have. Could have. You wanted yeah. to. Customs, yeah. customs never came out and, and looked at the plane, but they would give you. Sometimes give you grief inside, and they'd they'd always want their their little extra uh, back sheesh, you know, and yeah. little extra in the which I almost <laughs> always refused to do. I'd play my stupid American, you know. They would they wouldn't actually come out and demand a bribe because that's just not done. They just hint at it, and I would just play stupid, like I'm not sure does the oh. paperwork not right. Something more, I'm like I don't get, you know. I just kind of mess with them because. I didn't really have to. I could write the twenty bucks off on of my expense account, but I just love messing with the guys. And after a while, yeah. they go, "Bah, get out of here, you stupid American!" You know? yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Although yeah. I did say you sp- spent Christmas in Brazil once and, and paid some extra for him, So A
3: little bit. <laughs> I didn't say I always get away with yeah. it, but once in a while, yeah, we have. There's sure. been a few times that an extra fifty dollars goes a long way.
1: Yeah. Well, I was going to ask what we and we always ask. So what's the most frightening or scariest moment or the closest you think you ever came? But it sounds like that's like a practically a daily occurrence in your line <laughs> of work. So I'm going to move to what's the funniest thing you've ever seen?
3: The funniest.
1: And, yeah, oh. and if I put you on the spot, we'll go back to some more scary crap and and come back to funny, but
4: or one of the other questions I would ask would be the coolest thing that you'd ever seen, which I think I might have an idea what it might be, but you've seen and been so many different places. Yeah. So, I'm so there sure you go. Yeah. you
1: got three yeah. questions. Coolest, funniest, okay. funniest or uh,
3: scariest? All right. Uh, we'll start with funniest. I was flying on the way to Goose Bay, Labrador. My boss was in another plane, two, two of us. I think we are in Bonanzas or something, and we're listening to Fingers, one, two, three, four, five. And there's a couple of... Guys on the radio speaking French. They're going back and forth. And my boss, who's a who hated everybody, <laughs> he was an equal opportunity hater. And he gets on the radio and he goes, he goes, Why don't you guys learn to speak English? And one of the guys that was speaking French comes back and goes, Fuck you. And he goes, Good, you're learning. I almost lost control of the airplane. I was laughing so hard. That was just, I died. I just died.
1: Um, that's a show title there, man. I love it. <laughs> Good, you're learning. you learning. Oh, great. Oh,
3: coolest thing I ever saw was the pyramids in Egypt. I took a Cherokee 6 over to Cairo. I was delivering it to Anwar Sadat's son. And I picked him up in Alexandria in North on the Mediterranean coast. And we, together we flew to Cairo. And we got to, close to Cairo. And he goes you ever seen the pyramids before? I go, nope, never been to Egypt before. This is a dream come true. It's a pilot's ultimate, you know, adventure. You're flying a small plane to Egypt and you get to see the pyramids. And I remember seeing a picture of a a formation of P-38s in World War II over the pyramids. Like, this is the greatest thing of ever. And he goes, well, they're right over there. Let's go see them. And we go over to the pyramids and he kind of looks at me sideways. He goes, you want to buzz them? I go, no. Yeah, yeah, can we? He goes, yeah, <laughs> and I we buzzed the crap out of those things three times. I didn't know the Sphinx was right there. I had no, I'm, I'm yeah. a little kid from Minnesota. Three times beneath the beneath the tops of the pyramids, you know, shooting the goalposts, laughing like schoolgirls, just unbelievable. I, you know, we pull up, do it again, yeah. and, oh, just buzz the crap out of it. <laughs> The third time he goes, Okay, we better get out of here because even I'm going to have some explaining to do. But, you know, it's the president's son. What are they going to do to him? You know, so. Beautiful. And the most dangerous was closest was probably when I lost my ferry system over the middle of the North Atlantic one night, way beyond the point of no return, heading to uh, Paris and turned on my ferry system, and the fuel wasn't flowing. So, and you say ferry
0: I, system, that's the extra fuel tank. And yep, everything? the ferry
3: tanks. Yeah. Okay. I, you know, four hours into the flight, you know, the wing, t- I'd run the wing tanks dry and I turned on the ferry system. And a couple minutes later, I realized that fuel's not moving and oh boy. I need that gas. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting.
1: So, a so, uh, stupid question then. Can you not burn the ferry system first and then go to the wing tanks last?
3: Look at you with your good ideas. 30 years after. We oh you know, well, you know. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking <laughs> what the I
4: should do. Tank. I was like, "Man, you know,
0: should not we burn the fuel tank of this very 22
3: Um. Yeah, that's what I should have done, you bet. That would have okay. been a great oh, idea. I didn't
1: know if you couldn't or something if it was no, something to do couldn't. with CG well, or okay. There,
3: well, the the problem was on that one there's a couple problems and the first one is I was young and getting confident and cocky. I've been using the ferry oh, system a lot. That'll never go badly. That'll never <laughs> happen. And I'd been using that ferry system for three days, and it worked great. Okay. And when I when we go out over the ocean for for. Speed and range. We like to keep the plane as aft CG as possible because, as you know, a plane yeah, flies sure. faster and more efficient yeah. FCG. So you bring the wings off first, and then the you know. But what I should have done is test the the ferry system, and I hadn't done that because I'd been using it for three days. It worked yeah, great, yeah. you know. You'd been testing it. <laughs> yeah, I'd been testing it, and and so I sat there and I and the 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 way they're rigged is they've got a, a line that goes to the belly of the tank with a J tube and it ram air pressurizes them. And I took that line apart. I always carry tools in the plane, and, and there's supposed to be a blast of ocean air coming out, and there was nothing. So that was the problem. And. Was it frozen so, over, or? A- well, the, normally we drill a hole through the bottom of the plane and secure it with a nut and a big washer. But this is a brand new plane, and the boss didn't want to drill a hole in the brand new plane. So they, him and the mechanic, had stuck it sideways through an access panel and duct taped it in place. Oh, nice. I wasn't happy with it, but like I could say it worked for three days. So, again, my fault. But, yeah, so I sat there and looked at that tube and that big metal tank. It's so like, how am I going to pressurize this tank? And basically I think, well, if I can blow up an air mattress, maybe I can blow up a steel ferry tank. And stuck it in my mouth and started blowing. And I had to blow into that tank for eight and a half hours to keep the engine running. No shit. Also, the plane oh was – the. I was at fifteen thousand feet, no oxygen, hyperventilating like crazy. The planes, <laughs> the the whole cabin was filled with hundred low love fumes. I was hypoxic and stoned out of my mind. Passed out at least three times. Couldn't stop it. Couldn't stop in Ireland because all the airports were closed and zero zero. And I was in no shape to shoot a zero zero approach in a bonanza. <laughs> and had to go all the way to Paris, blowing in that tube.
4: So and you were solo. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> all right oh, this is like a whole new I'm level processed. of nuts i'm writing this in is a, a whole this <laughs> is a whole new level of nuts
1: this isn't it is its this is, is not normal wildest, this is some no. of the wildest aviation i've ever heard of in my life it's amazing it's fascinating it's fascinating and and
3: uh, but, yeah. oh my god <laughs> So you are uh you got to do what you got to do, man.
0: You're hyperventilating because yeah. you're blowing, and then you would put like so you would pass out just from the fumes and the lack of oxygen yeah. and the in the hyperventilate. Then you kind of wake back up and so did
3: the airplane have an autopilot at least? Yeah, yeah, it did. What but, kind of plane? You know, was my this? my fear was I tried not to pass out because I was I what I thought would happen is you know if I passed out eventually because I was feeding the the fuel into the wind wing tanks. That's where the the fuel went. So I had to pressurize the ferry tank by blowing into it, and then it would move some fuel out into the wing tanks. And if I passed out and the wing tanks went dry and the engine quit, I was pretty sure that would wake me up. But I didn't think, you know, as I'm plunging toward the ocean that I could get the ferry tank pressurized in time to move fuel to the wing tanks in time for the fuel to go from the wing tanks to the fuel system to the fuel pump to the engine before I hit the water, but...
4: Didn't matter. I passed out anyways. So. so that was a long re- night. <laughs> repeat, fig. Did I not tell you this was going to be nuts? Oh, oh,
0: I, yeah. I, oh yeah. This is a whole nother level of nuts. man. mean, holy yeah. Shit. I mean, I'm oh,
4: sweet fancy Moses. That is <laughs> that is just It is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Gary
0: probably has a hard time finding pants that fit. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And you know, I think so. Yeah. And keeping the and keeping the tire in the wheelbarrow inflated, you know. <laughs> yeah. Just to get around town. <laughs> and
4: and you and you know what? There's one other thing that we haven't like even keyed in on. So not only are you you're flying international, you're doing much of this solo, you're you know, going up into areas where you should have oxygen and you don't, you're running at the absolute minimums of what your fuel will give you. But now you also, there's a whole other thing you haven't even talked about, which is negotiating airspace. You know, there are certain countries that you can't, you can't fly yeah. through. Yeah. And, you know, and there was even one instance, if I recall correctly, where you were getting followed by a military jet.
3: Yep. Coming out of, coming out of Egypt. And I'm pretty sure we had a jet behind us. Stu was the big wussy, wouldn't let me b- turn into him. I was going to engage him, but he said that was a bad idea. So, <laughs> Going in for guns. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes, you know, like like back in the early days, you, we, we would trade, especially in Africa, we wouldn't, wouldn't be able to get overflight permits for some countries like, uh, I'm drawing a blank right now, Sudan and Good, the true. Congo. And we got, I was ferrying a plane to Tanzania, And I was in Libreville, Gaboon, and the next country I was going to go, the next day I was going to fly all the way from Gaboon to Tanzania, which is directly across the entire continent of Africa, right along basically along the equator. And the next country from the Congo is, or from Gaboon is the Congo, and we couldn't get an overflight permit. And I met a couple of guys in the bar the night before, a couple of British guys, and I asked them, so they were local pilots. I said, well, what should I do? And they go, oh, yeah, they won't give you an overflight permit. What they'll do is as soon as you check on, they'll deny you entry, they'll make you land at their their airport, they'll throw you in jail, steal all your radio, steal all your money, and hold you for ransom for your company until they pay you off, and then they'll let you go after a month or so. And I go, that sounds no, that, fun. That yeah. doesn't sound like any fun at all. What should I do? They go, turn your... Well, I go. If it was me, I'd turn my transponder off and fly treetop level and stay away from the big cities. The, the, most of their fighters don't work, but their anti-aircraft guns do. So, don't go by the big city. And so, <laughs> that's what I did. You, you, wow. you, you overflew Scut anyway. Scud running low level. An entire oh, yeah. country. Oh no shit! <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. Is like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Oh, yeah, so that we'll was see. that particular flight. Was that day was crazy? Walk us through Cause that. Because my because right now, but I, I that was the easy part I, of the day. That, that was, was the, the easy nothing, part of the day. That was the nothing part of the day. I would my that was the f- first plane I flew that had a GPS, and of course it broke the day before, so it was out. And the morning in Gaboon, I my weather briefing. I was literally literally going to fly night two thousand miles across Africa. And my briefing was, I showed up, you know, you want a pretty detailed briefing, winds of law, forecasts, all that stuff. And the guy gave, walked out and he gave me a, a mimeograph picture of a satellite, infrared satellite shot of the continent of Africa. And he pointed at, there's two white blobs on the western side by, by Nairobi and Tanzania. And he says, see this? Very, very bad. You see this? Very, very bad. Have a nice flight. And that was my entire weather briefing. And thank you. Yeah. Thank you for appreciate that. it. That's going to be nice. Okay. And I had to fly there. And the, in the, the whole seven hour, in the seven hour middle of the flight, there were going to be no nav aids. So pretty much like the, the Atlantic. So once I left Gaboon in the last NDB, I basically it was a scuddy day, 1,500 feet, two miles of visibility all day. At, nothing but Tarzan jungle beneath you, 100%. And flew for. Seven hours with no with nothing, and then you get to the point where you're gonna get your you're gonna pick up the next VOR and I turn it on, tune it in, nothing, 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 crap. I think I'm lost over Africa. Oh, Sun goes down, thunderstorms that he warned me about. I had to negotiate, get my butt kicked in the thunderstorms over some mountains. I'm making a long story really short. That's okay. Uh, get to the other side. There's the next the next VOR you're supposed to pick up, and nothing, nothing, nothing. Crap, I really am lost over Africa. It's nighttime. If I go too far, I'll miss the coast, and I'll be out over the Indian Ocean. That could be bad. Do I take take a left and maybe try to find Nairobi? That's 300 miles north, but I should be able to see it for a ways. But, like, nah. I decided to keep going because the little town I was going to had a weak NDB, and after 13 hours of flying, the needle popped up, and I was right on course. Came in and landed, and I was delivered the plane to some missionaries, and I was having dinner with them afterwards, which was awesome. Except they didn't have beer, which I really needed a beer after that oh
2: day. Oh my gosh!
3: <laughs> and I start telling them this story, and I get to the point where neither of those VORs pick up, and they both stop, and they stop looking and look at each other like, "What?" They go, "Nobody told you." And I'm like those yeah. VORs never work because they're run on gas generators, and as soon as the government delivers the gas to the to the generators, the local warlords go and steal the gas. Somebody should have told you. I really, yeah, that would have been helpful to know about 10 hours ago.
4: That would have been awesome. Yeah. Let me surmise that. Yada, yada, yada. They go and steal the gas and the VORs stop working. Yeah. 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 Give me a break. Oh, my God. That's insane. (laughs) Africa. Got to love Africa. (laughs) I love
3: Africa. It's always like that. I was just down in Namibia this this spring and uh, flying around the desert. It was
4: fantastic. Yeah. Well, at least it
1: wasn't cloudy, right? <laughs> <No>. Yeah, <laughs> it was
4: beautiful. So, so you know, here's here's a whole another oh. question I I have for you, Sue. One thing that I've definitely picked up on about you is that you are very much like a stick and rudder guy, and you know, you're also have very strong opinions about autopilots, which I like because I am very much like you. I would rather have my hands on the controls, and and repeat can probably back me up on this, but I flew from chicago back to to peas and i I was basically his autopilot the whole way i I hand flew the, the the plane the whole way and and anyway so i want you to talk a little bit about that you know so tell us like for you as a stick and rudder pilot what is that what does that mean and like what do our newer pilots need to learn from from this or what do they? What you know? Because a lot there's a lot of uh, emphasis on oh well, I'll just use the autopilot. And there's a great example of this, and you did a great analysis on it as well with uh, Tennessee Fly Girl. So talk yeah. a little bit about that. Well,
3: I like autopilots. I use autopilots, but I prefer to hand fly as much as I can to keep my my skills sharp. And I think a lot of the kids growing up these days they they're flying planes. You know back. When I started, it was the old Trauma Hawks, the 152s, and their steam gauges, and half of them didn't work. And I I learned so much growing up in that environment, you know, not to be the old guy back in my day, but (laughs) even, you know, you get these kids these days, they, they, even on their long cross countries, they're turning on the autopilot and thinking, well, they're, I'm straight and level for the next hour and a half. I, I won't learn anything when I completely disagree. Even the, even the, the act of keeping a plane straight and level requires flying. And the more stick and rudder time you have actually flying the plane, the more muscle memory, the more natural it gets to you. Right. And so mm-hmm. it is important to know how to use the autopilot in an emergency, in, 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 you know, when you're going into the airlines and you want to have all these stabilized approaches and all the tools, yep, that's great. You should know how to use it. But when it doesn't work you want to have a really good foundation to fall back on of stick and rudder skills and when stuff goes to hell you need to know how an airplane flies you know it flies through the air it's it's an aircraft you know it's you need you need to have that basic foundation of how to fly an airplane and not drive an airplane
1: right right exactly no that the those fundamentals are so key and and they obviously they drilled them into us in military flight school as as well but yeah it, yeah well, here's the,
0: here's a sad state of affairs at at the major airlines right now that we're hiring we're hiring we're hiring some pretty systems managers unseasoned pilots at very low time and yeah. these particular pilots the ones that have gone through the the flight schools that are rapid pace, the, you know, they, they, but they all have the Garmin fancy instrument panels. They've never done anything except fly the magenta line. Yep. So if they you get off script anyhow, FMC fails and down you. Now you're back to tuning VORs. It's going to be a shit show. Yeah.
1: You know what? Now that you mentioned those two two an, an acro- acronyms, probably ought to cover those real quick. I think we've it, covered VORs before. Those are ground based navigation statements. FMC is a flight management computer that uh, all modern airliners have now. So, I oh, I had a question back when you were talking about Africa. Is is when I cross the equator, I do it at 30,000 plus and at 400 to 550 knots ground speed. So I I barely notice the equatorial convergence zone. What kind of <laughs> problems does that pose oh for gosh. you at, at 1,000 to 15,000 feet and 100, and 100 to 200 knots as opposed to... Yeah. Oh, a is, lot. is that
3: a problem? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, okay. Like when we were flying, when I would fly down to Africa, Tanzania, to get from... The route we usually took would be from Agadir, Morocco, down to the Ivory Coast. You fly the whole – over the Sahara. And we would fly that at night. So we would arrive down there in in a tropical convergence zone in the morning when the weather's usually better. So – because – I mean, it's in South Africa – or South America too, but, you know, South Africa – or Africa, you know, the the afternoons, they'll just kick your butt. And like the night that I was flying to South – to Tanzania, that was; those were the afternoon thunderstorms that were pretty severe. But yeah, so we would fly all night over the Sahara. Of course, I lost my alternator doing that one night and had to fly eight and a half hours by flashlight. But that's another story. That's good times. <laughs> Jeez.
0: There's, he just throws. We go things now. Out. See you guys. He just he yeah. throws these things out like it, You know. Oh yeah. yeah. But, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Don't I flew by flashlight. flashlight. Yeah. Oh, I, that's. I, I had.
4: I had mad. my flashlight. I was holding yeah. it in my mouth, and I just flew I, at eight first, hours that and way. then I
3: figured out it was the old old days. You know, mini mag light, and the you know, course, the only one I had. And, and you got to turn everything off, and all my battery completely died. So I'm flying hand flying it because you can't use the autopilot, and right. and I managed to get the the flashlight stuck up in the in the in the in the, in the fabric in the above overhead, your head. Yeah. The overhead, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> the the scary part was actually changing batteries because i only have one flashlight foolishly and so you think about it it's like okay once i turn this we'll flashlight off pitch i'm black. gonna i pitch can't see black. anything yeah pitch black so if i if i screw this up if I'm you gonna drop die. a battery yeah if i drop a battery i'm going to die because of the only batteries i have so it's like i practice it and batteries in my mouth like okay i'm gonna twist the back off and, and take this long i'm like okay and here we go and
1: yeah, oh, stuff. Jeez. Oh, all right, all right. I, uh, I have never been more slack jawed for an entire show.
0: I I, I know. I, I I'm kind of worn out in a way, <laughs> yes. even though I'm not worn out. I I want to hear more, but I am kind of worn out.
1: Shit, and, killing.
0: <laughs> and, uh, You're just, you've had more
1: emergencies than the three of us put together. <laughs> <laughs> did I did I not I wouldn't
0: doubt that. It's not an it's not yeah. an emergency to him anymore. It's just another Well, I know. You know it's it's a little challenge
1: to it's a, it's another it's what he calls Tuesday. I get it.
4: <laughs> so I, I think there's like you know, because I think we're kind of also, obviously we've been like been almost an hour and a half into this and Carrie uh, has more stories than Carter has little liver pills, but for the love of God. <laughs> yeah. So Carrie, you know, a couple of other things that I think we definitely need to key on. So first off, you're an author. So tell oh, yeah. us a little let's, bit let's about plug your book. Yeah, let's we need to plug your book. You've got a business that you're running, so I think it's time to actually give you a little bit of of you've <laughs> certainly earned it some but some time to plug your work and and what we can do to help promote your yeah. uh, your efforts. Sure. I've actually written two books.
3: Well, two that I've got published. First is called Fairy Pilot. Obviously. And has all those are most of the, like a lot of the stories that I talked about today. All the early days, the nine the nineties, and the first chunk of my career where all the super dangerous stuff happened, and that's gone. I'm I'm blown away. I always knew I had some pretty good stories, but I didn't know if I could write. But apparently, I apparently people find it entertaining because it's been a bestseller on Amazon for a, a long time. And okay. so as a first
4: person witness, he can. I'm yeah.
3: glad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I, so I wrote a second one called Dangerous Flights. That's um, Mostly that's the, the period of my life when I was ferrying in, during the TV show in the, in, 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 on the Discovery Channel. And it's kind of funny, that whole thing. They they were all worried that nothing was going to happen because, you know, most reality shows, they have to make mountains out of molehills. And I told <laughs> them, because they're all real flights. You know, they put a cameraman yeah. and a second pilot with us, and we were actually del- really delivering airplanes. So like, just wait. Oh, it's going to happen. Plenty of stuff. Plenty of yeah. stuff. And yeah, they ended up having to cut so much, and so those those uh, those two books. And I've got some novels coming out that I'm working on, and I'm going to write a story about Orient Air, the company that I del- I worked for, because I was one of just a number of pilots that went that worked for this company over the, from the 70s on, and they all had stories like this. I just interviewed a guy on my YouTube channel, Greg Cotton, and he. I'd heard most of his stories, but he told one that I hadn't heard that my jaw was dropping. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> okay, that's
0: saying something right there. <laughs> yeah. He took
3: yeah. he he lost a cylinder flying down to Ivory Coast. He didn't know it. he you know cylinder detached. And he landed fifty miles short because he was low on fuel and then discovered that the cylinder had detached from the case. Whoa. But he didn't have good maintenance there, so he took off with a cylinder. This isn't a twin. Took off like that and flew the last fifty miles. It's like, okay, wow. There's there's that. <laughs> wow, <laughs> wow. Yeah. So you can go okay. go to my YouTube channel. It's uh, the Confessions of an International Ferry Pilot. That episode, and you can listen to him tell a bunch of stories like I just told, and had me doing the same thing you guys are doing. Like, okay, uh, right? What? Yeah. So, so what, he, what is your
4: what is your YouTube channel there, Kerry? Just my name, Kerry McCauley. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
1: So that's He's, K-E-R-R-Y-M-C-C-A-U-L-E-Y. And then your books are available, assuming that anywhere you can buy fine books, but Amazon you've mentioned especially yep. is the easiest if, way to get it. And I'm given to understand that if one wants an autograph copy of your book, that that's possible. How would one do that, sir?
3: Go to kerrymccauley.com.
1: All right. And I can sign and dedicate it to you and...
4: They'll be worth tens of dollars someday. <laughs> <laughs> oh. More, more importantly, though, it's actually worth you know a moment of inspiration. You know, actually, when I was able to sort of hand that book over to my son and and pass it to him, you know, he kind of saw the light in the eyes go on behind it, you know, because he had he's had a little setback or two in trying to get get going with his flight training, and and it's sort of I think. Light lit a little bit of a fire under his belly which is invaluable nice did you basically mm-hmm. say if this idiot can fly
3: anyone can is that what you, is that what you're
4: <laughs> actually <laughs> See, I don't think that was my book. exact this, those were not my words at all but this moron could survive this anybody can I'm like yeah.
1: okay no, you know actually I gotta t- say this this is what it reminds me of Carrie especially listening to these stories there was a book I read years ago called Deep Survival by uh, Gonzales his last name I don't remember his first name but what I've seen from you here is, on on, on several of these stories, your, your will to survive is is you know what, I, I got a choice here. I can either do this or die, so I'm gonna do it. And but it's astounding yeah. to me how many people choose to give up. So your perseverance is why you're here. There's no doubt in my mind, uh, and it's impressive.
3: Yeah, keep Dang. swinging. You might get lucky. You know, yeah, that's, right? we
4: haven't even so- talked about his skydiving. We haven't talked, you know, there's there's so many different stories that we haven't even begun to touch on. And what I also think is really cool, though, and what sort of stands out to me is that Carrie is clearly somebody who is comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that is one of the key fundamental things that we learn going through flight school, you know, or even your indoctrination into the military. It's It's that process of getting uncomfortable, you know, being uncomfortable and being unsure of things is okay. It's just how you're going to work your way through the problem and and untangle it.
0: Yeah. I I have to ask two logistical more two more logistical questions, Carrie. I'm sorry. I'm still I'm, This is a lot of it. I'm yeah. I'm processing a lot right now, and I'm not quite yeah. sure how I'm gonna how this is gonna. I'm gonna have a nightmare. I think tonight.
4: <laughs> Realize we, that these guys are Marines, and so we, they're licking they're looking we, those and eating crayons. Hey,
0: that's enough out of you, Mud <laughs> Duck. Now. Logistics wise, do you do you? Does your company try to plan you to ferry an airplane to one part of the world so you can pick an airplane to fly it, or do you airline over? I mean, how does that normally work?
3: Ideally, that's what you do, but it almost never works. I think in my thirty-four years of doing it, I've managed to make it work out three times. You know, just it just almost never is quite you know that. It's never that convenient. It's usually just airline one way or the other.
0: So you're airline and you're shipping all your gear. You get there, you you know get the plane ready, and then you go the other way. Yep. Okay. Now this is the this is the not so neat part, but I mean you know we're all creatures and we have physiological uh, needs. (laughs) So you're in a single engine airplane over the North Atlantic or over the. Desert at you know over at the African Sahara Desert at night, and it's time for <laughs> bodily functions, and you got no autopilot, so I guess you trim up real good and trim it up. Yeah. Yep. And well, you, you,
3: now, <laughs> I, mean, I I'm I'm a Ziploc baggy guy. Yeah, that's pants, what I like to use. Thing. Yeah, that that works really good. I, I when I first started, my boss told me to use the. The plastic jug method, you know, bring that. But I never, I didn't like that because I hated at the end of the day carrying that back into the into the into the customs building. carrying your bottle of apple juice with you. you like, right. so I. That's why I use Ziploc baggies. Hold on. Which, you
1: can't, you can't bomb a, a wilderness area. <laughs> I'm just asking for a friend. Well, you
3: got to save your. You only have so many jugs, but you can have unlimited okay. Ziploc baggies because yeah. that's literally what I would do. Because I would save them for targets of opportunity. You know, ships. <laughs> Open door, like pilot to Bombardier. Bombs away. Now I don't think I actually ever hit anybody, but if I did, I'm really sorry.
4: <laughs>
1: no, you're not.
3: No, no, I'm not. All and
4: right.
3: the other, the other thing, I've only had to do okay, twice in an airplane.
0: That's my issue right there. Uh, yeah, fourteen and, hours in an airplane, I'm, I'm going to shit twice.
3: Yeah. Easy. It, usually, what I would it's use like is a two, two plastic gar- grocery bags lined with paper towels. First time I did it, I was pretty proud of myself. I mean, it, it's a it involves a, a <laughs> weird yoga pose, and it's pretty stinky, <laughs> but you know. I know, right? There's
0: just no think about. I but you? I was
3: so I was so proud of myself. I had my nice, neat little package. I was in that two ten. I was flying and opened up the window. I was over the north. There on the way to Morocco, and I chucked it out the window. And as it went out. The, it caught on the window latch and tore open and no. sprayed the side of the plane no. brand new paint job i still had 6 hours to go by the time i got to morocco it was concrete on the side of the plane and i spent the next 3 days with a credit card every time i had a chance scrape little shit dots off the side of the plane i, can't I was
1: breathe.
3: I was I was having such a good day. I oh, <laughs> yes. oh, it's amazing
4: how fast it all goes to shit. Uh, oh, you that, that, gives that gives new <laughs> meaning to the word God. shit show. Oh. God
3: damn it. And I pulling uh. up to the airport and like trying to taxi that side away from the
4: everybody Because oh, like, it was pretty obvious what <laughs> it was.
0: Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> oh.
4: <laughs> So so Carrie I had emailed or texted to you yeah. a link for a, a song from our uh the the guys that sing or that cover our our theme song which was Code Brown you know so you had also you know the other thing is is it's you know, so most of the time it sounded like you were solo but then sometimes you have a co-pilot with you and you know that creates a whole another element of distress yeah and in your book I read a citation from that you wrote, it was sounds like a military, like you know, <laughs> a, a, like the Coast Guard Achievement Medal that you wrote for Stu, yeah, for the the Order of the Anal or Anal or the Iron Rectum or something like that. It was it was in it was impressive. Uh, yeah. I I busted out. I'm reading it at two o'clock in the morning. My wife's sound asleep next to me, and I I it was all I could do to keep myself from not laughing. <laughs>
3: I have to hand it to Stu. If to make the long story short, we left Pakistan, and he'd gotten picked up a bug in Karachi, and we're flying to the UAE right off the coast of Iran. And yeah. right, at, right after takeoff, he's sitting there going, I don't feel so good, like, Do you want to turn around? I go, no, keep going. And he had to clench it from both both mouth and anus for the whole trip, and when... <laughs> I managed to drag him in there we landed I ran in found the bathroom drug him in there he could hardly walk and when he got in there he made sounds I don't think any human could ever make and <laughs> but thank god he made it because that cirrus is small and if he had exploded I don't know what I'd have done <laughs> it it
4: would've been a, like a biohazard scene from hell would've, we would have had to throw that plane mask? away oh I don't know we're done with the plane I
3: mean, we're we're
1: going to the the Middle East
3: at 110 degrees. Over subtropical
1: areas, yeah. Oh, 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 dear God. That is funny. I'm finally catching my breath from the the last one.
3: (laughs) Holy smokes. Yeah. You want to avoid the all-you-can-eat seafood buffet at the St. John's Radisson. That's just a tip. (laughs) <laughs> there, you go. there you go oh
0: man
3: <laughs> oh my gosh now are you are you still are you still doing this today i am i haven't crossed the pond since covid when covid hit i didn't okay. want to do any because they were quarantining in the in the hotels and that kind of takes yeah. all the fun out of it oh, yeah. and at this stage of the game right now I'm picking flights that I want to do just for the fun and adventure of it. If it's a really cool plane or if it's going someplace really amazing, I'll do it. My son and I just ferried a 182 up to Anchorage in April, and that was an amazing trip. I'm trying to get him as much as a real-world experience before he goes and does something autopilot-y. So we had a, we had a blast on that trip. That was fantastic. Nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, and I was telling Carrie pre-show I did a transcontinental trip with my daughter and a Grumman Tiger, and that uh, that's just the best time of your life getting to spend time with your kids like that. Uh, yeah, that it's wow. Oh, that's one. I, I have a, actually a very boring question now, based on all of that. How, <laughs> you know, you're going to pick up these airplanes and you get there, and how often are they are these new? And I am using air quotes. These new airplanes ready to go when you get there or in in the condition that they're ostensibly in that the buyer believes them to be in or, and how, how is that, is that ever burned you? I can't imagine it hasn't. So that's why I'm asking.
3: Yeah. It yeah. It has, you know, they all supposedly have a fresh annual, yeah. but <laughs> you know, you know, the problem that I have with these, these, these used planes, I actually, the new planes I don't even like because new planes don't have enough time that the stuff they, they, did right. wrong in the manufacturing, yeah. hasn't broke yet. Yeah. Ran into that problem quite a bit. But the old ones, you know, it's like, why is somebody selling a plane? Well, it's because they're not flying it enough, and that's bad for airplanes. So it's a lot of times, they've been sitting for years be- by the time I get there. And usually, there's not much, you know, I give it as best a look over as I can. I, you know, pop the cowls off and do everything. Maybe we'll split the the oil filter, but that's as much as you can do. Basically, just take off and Circle the airport, see if you're tra- look over your shoulder and look at your shadow. Make sure you're not trailing smoke, and then fly it. See what you know. Hopefully, you're not. Sometimes you t- you're immediately taken off over the ocean. I've done that a number of times. But sometimes you've got a couple of days of over land, while you can still get maintenance to check it out. But okay,
4: cross yeah. your fingers and hope oh. for the
3: best pretty much but i've had to do i've had to change vacuum pumps alternators windshields tires i had to make a valve cover gasket out of cardboard in greenland one time because it was going to be 8 8 weeks to get another one you know just lost wow. engines lost lost everything lost both vacuum pumps and the right engine in a navajo at night over saudi arabia a couple years ago so partial panel single engine
4: thursday those are those are mad skills those are seriously really mad skills you know because it's a lot it reminds me a little bit like when i was back at the academy at, at the merchant marine academy you know we learned you know i learned how to make a gasket you know cut a gasket out you know using an exacto knife and basically out of cardboard and that's just crazy you know how often do you ever you know learn that it's, right that's just nuts it's it's what I one of the things I just love
3: about fairy flying. It's the it's the adventure. Somebody gives you a a bag of cash and a cool and the keys to a cool airplane and say fly this literally to the other side of the planet. Right when you get there and you're on your own. You've got no support. I mean, before I started, there was no cell phones. You didn't couldn't call anybody. So it was all up to you to on you know just on your wits. How could you? Get it done. And you had to find a way to get it done. They would give you a route, but it was kind of a general route. You know, it's like, well, if there's a war in some country or there's bad weather here, you go go different places. I mean, this is the only job where I actually literally use a globe to practice to, to flight plan. <laughs> like I'll get my globe up. Like, I'm starting here, I'm going there. What countries am I gonna go to?
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: That's that's pretty cool. That's way cool. That's not pretty cool. That's way cool.
1: It is. It It really is.
4: When you you think about us starting at flight school, I mean, I know that, like, Repeat and Fig and I kind of had a similar origin, although both of them had flight time before they went. But, you know, it's that adventure, like, I'm going to get to go fly an airplane and get to go do some really cool stuff. And this just, like, puts a shadow over that. I mean, like, I feel like an amateur.
0: It just it's just—it's a different happened. world, man. <laughs> it's just I'm a different world. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It is. This is so far outside the norm for what Repeat and I are used to on a daily basis. This is not even in my paradigm. I mean, it, Carrie, you—you've caused me to do some serious soul searching. Well, I mean, I don't even know. <laughs> I mean, okay, you know, we—we—we—I still fly general aviation, but nah, not like that. No, because you're smarter
3: than I
1: am. No, I'm i am a neophyte, really. Holy shit. Yeah, no. This is, some of the things you've talked about. I I don't know how I would handle them. I I'd like to think I would have been just fine. But
3: well, responding just, to uh, emergencies is a learned skill. The more sure. you have, the better you are at it, and yeah. it just kind of snowballs. And I think I I blew my give a shit circuit breaker long ago, so something would have Just like, huh? Look at that. Guess I better <laughs> deal with that now. Yeah,
0: uh, <laughs> right. Well, I mean, just so. Uh, you, you you said, you know, you were flying you and your boss on two different airplanes and your boss lost the vacuum pump. And, well, I had a vacuum pump quit on me one time, but it was daytime and it was a VMC and I'm like, uh, ah, look at that. I guess I gotta get that fixed later. Yeah. You know? Not at night, going out over the water <laughs> to some little island that I might yeah. not find and it's gonna be shitty weather and then I'm gonna have a partial panel. No, none of that.
1: No. I mean, I think, yeah, the, the the best equivalent we have to that is, you know, like flying out of Iwakuni, Japan over to Korea at night in the goo and one of us goes Nordo. Well, you've got a guy right there that's a highly trained aviator that you hang on to his wing and you know he's going to get you back and drop you off on the concrete. Yeah. And yeah. you just, yeah, you didn't have the benefit of that. That's terrifying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just the yeah. level
3: of risk you're willing to accept, you know, and put yourself in those situations yeah. where
4: that might happen. You know.
3: Yeah, yeah, wow.
4: So, how about your, your jump school? Do you want to plug that as well?
3: Sure, sure. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. my
4: my main job these days,
3: you know, skydive Twin Cities out of Minneapolis. We operate all summer long from April to the end of October. And I don't jump as much as I used to. I probably only make six or 700 jumps a summer these days. So it's, Only six or 700, Pete. Yeah, it's it kind <laughs> of so slowed down. Only six. Or or you get to a thousand? i <laughs> nah, it's getting too old for that, you know. I'm sixty years old, sixty-one, Slacker. almost sixty-two. God, Last how's week. this? <laughs> I know.
0: <laughs> Only six
1: hundred. Okay. Oh man. Okay. So I'm sorry. I, I wrote it. I thought I wrote it down, <laughs> and I didn't. Yeah. With my pen. Twin Cities Jump School. Skydive Twin Cities. Skydive Twin Cities. My apologies. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Skydive Twin Cities. Very cool. Well, if you want to ever wanted the skydive, <clears throat> you, you know where to go. To find a guy who's faced it all and just stares it down like it's nothing. And only, if, and only you know, a half a millennium of jumps every summer. You know, because yeah, you stuff. can't get a thousand in the summer.
4: <laughs> that's for the young kids, you know. Yeah, right.
1: Well, that's crazy.
4: I mean, gravity does all the work, so I don't know why he's complaining right. about you know jumping well, at sixty.
3: That. Doesn't take any there's skill. Fun. It's literally falling. Any yeah. old old ladies can fall. <laughs> There's that. So and then all that. Right.
1: that. they do. All right. Well, I, I we've been doing this a little over an hour and a half. I, I think it's t- time we land this plane yeah, let's w- with an open invitation to come back. Love this stuff. But I, uh, I'm i just glad I can breathe. I, I know uh. there's things that you're not telling us, you <laughs> oh, sneaky yeah. bastard.
0: There's stuff <laughs> you are not telling us. <laughs> don't we don't have it. the
3: time. We literally <laughs> right. don't have the time. I just scratched the surface.
1: Well, we're going to come back and do some more of this then. Because sure. uh, no, this is great and hilarious. So thank you so much. <laughs> we've we've got to get a couple other thank yous out there too. First of all, let's thank all our uh, military active duty and veterans and their families who sacrificed so much to give us the freedoms we have. And I know you, Carrie, have have seen up close and personal a whole lot more countries than even Fig and I have in in our aviation jobs. And so you you see what people live like, uh, and and you know that we're blessed to live in the country we do. And it's because of these people who have who have written that check. So thank you,
4: and and Carrie, thank you for your service as well. Thank you guys too. Don't want to overlook the fact that you actually, you know, you did sign the the bottom line, and you were in the army. You know, and not only that, you 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 signed up to get into helicopters. So I I like you for that alone. There you
3: go, (laughs) Huey, the rotor heads. too terrifying. That was the beginning Uh, of the total
0: lapse in judgment career (laughs) that he's just describing (laughs) to me. Right. (laughs) Exactly.
1: The first fatal mistake. (laughs) There you go. Oh, man. We also need to thank uh, Dave Hamilton over at BackBeatMedia.com. He's online and handles all our advertising, so thank you to Dave. Dave has a couple other shows. He's got the Mac Geek Gab, of which I'm a co-host, the Gig Gab, and the business brain for entrepreneurs. So look those shows up wherever you find your favorite podcasts, and, and you'll find a professional broadcaster over there. What should someone do if I didn't cover a term like VOR or FMC or something? What do you think? Well, we have a glossary
0: at us slash glossary, and if it's not in there, sticks at so there i was dot us is the smartest guy between the three of us and he can answer they, that.
4: they keep thinking i'm smart i don't know what they're <laughs> what they're getting at
0: and, that, and do you, you know what email sticks with any questions you have because he's smarter than both of us yeah he not is. True. put yeah. together <laughs> no no not repeat no. repeats wearing uh, one of our uh, t-shirts with their logo on it. we got a merch store there it is look at that yeah yeah so there uh, i was slash merch yeah hey we're only a couple months away from bikini season and we have a bikini on our merch store yeah. <laughs>
4: it's it's very sweet I, I need to come back and tell a story about wearing a sweatshirt in the grocery store
1: there you go <laughs> we'll get i'll tell you what we'll get that after and i'll tell you why <laughs> after we get off the air um <laughs> okay i promise it, it's a good reason uh then uh we also he's listening tonight uh thanks to brad silcott over at bds aviation dot com bds dot com for letting us use a lot of his amazing images this guy has some amazing photographs of airplanes and, and other things but airplanes it's like holy cow he's like right there um beautiful stuff so thank you brad we appreciate that uh how would you rate the show sticks
4: Oh, well, you're going to go to So There I Was um, Apple at Apple Podcasts, and uh, no. you're going to give us five no. stars, not a four a star, super, not a three star. I got star. it even
1: easier. So thereiwas.us slash rate. Oh, Boom. even better. Okay. Yeah.
4: There you go. So thereiwas.us slash rate. Yeah. And you're going to give just us a five star review, not a four, not a three. Just give us five. If you got constructive feedback, give it to us, but then still give us the five star, okay? It helps the show.
1: Yeah indeed
4: we're all about making corrections
1: and and the last thing that you have to do well first of all thank you to all of you who have supported us financially this show is live streaming it's going to come down and go private and those of you who support us financially will get the private link to see this online at your leisure at your leisure so uh thank you for all of you who support us financially we know you work hard for your money and uh then you waste it by throwing it at us. Now, we don't understand it, but we're graciously to do so thank you very much. Um, share the show. Tell people that you can find us on Amazon Music, Spotify, Pandora, uh, Apple Anywhere
4: Music. Anywhere you get your podcasts. And Kerry, thank you again. I cannot yes, tell you how awesome it was for you to come on the show. It was awesome. My thank pleasure. you for answering yes. my email on a cold call and sort of like, hey, check this out.
3: My so pleasure. A lot you. of fun. You guys are awesome. So until Thanks,
1: next you. week, everybody, stay safe and check six.
2: Well, there I was, crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't exactly fond Of all the shit I was wearing on that day. Now an F-16 is cramped enough, but it's even worse, with all that stuff supposed to save your life, but we knew there was no way, cause when you're going down the North Atlantic, man, it's over. Hold on, it's what? He said it's over. It's over. Piece of cake! (laughs) Mmm, cake.